when God began to create the universe, at the very onset of creation, he created music. He did it to the sound of the morning stars singing together. And the angels shouted for joy. Music is a heavenly and divine invention, not a human one. We as humans reflect our creator when we sing and play music. When God formed man, he took dirt and ground. And the Hebrew word for dirt is Adam. So he created dirt and called him dirt, Adam. And while he was doing that, he's hearing again the morning stars singing and the angels shouting for joy. Can you imagine what that would sound like? One day, we're not going to have to imagine. We will hear it. And Zephaniah 3.17, you know, it's like somebody would say about your children, who's your favorite child? Well, they're all favorite. Our nephews and nieces, I kid my nieces, but it's really not kidding. I tell each one of them, you're my favorite, you're my favorite. The truth is, they're all my favorites. I have many favorite Bible passages, and this is certainly one of them. Imagine this verse. The Lord your God is with you, Zephaniah 3.17. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The actual literal word there, which is used in the ESV, this is the NIV, the ESV correctly translates it, and it says, with loud singing. After Pam and I retired, I went into some interim work immediately. And in between sermons, where they would have someone else preach, Pam and I would visit area churches around New Jersey. Now, Pam and I spent years playing music and singing, Pam especially in a praise band, and I would regularly play instrumentals for offertories as well as for a while in a praise band. And so we love all kinds of music, everything. And we go to all these different churches, and we love the music. We love the quality of the musicianship and the singing, but it was just so loud everywhere. It's just so loud. We would have to spend our first part of the service standing in the foyer to get away from this volume. I remember taking youth groups, and this was kind of a shock to me because I didn't have money to go to rock bands that much when I was a kid. So here I'm going to these great venues like the Brown County Arena with a bunch of youths from Bethel, Baptist, Bethel Baptist Church in Green Bay. And there's 6,000 plus screaming kids in there, and these giant speakers are belting out this loud, loud music. I couldn't get away. I had to watch their kids, right? So I'm in the back row as far away as I can get, and it didn't make any difference, any difference. But can you imagine hearing the voice of our Father loudly singing over us, what that must sound like? When I think of the most beautiful voice I know, I could think of perhaps many you would have, you, you would have different singers in mind, but I would think of Andrea Bocelli, if you know who he is, singing my prayer. And imagine a voice infinitely beyond that in terms of purity and beauty. That beautiful voice singing over, and it's singing over you with loud singing. I've come to only one conclusion. As they say, if it's too loud, 
You're too old. Pam and I are, you know, we're like Dave. We're too old. <laughs> We'd be on the floor. So I'm driven to one obvious conclusion. When we get our new heavenly bodies, they're going to be young. <laughs> because it won't be too loud for us. Hearing that voice, I look forward to that day, and I'm sure all of you do as well. When we look at antiquity, and I am an amateur musicologist, we know a lot of what the instrumentation was. You go back to the earliest history of civilization, you find music. Some of these instruments you see uh, in this video, this picture here, come from antiquity, and we know exactly what they played because they had the nice habit, a lot of musicians, of being buried with their instruments. So when we dig them up and archaeologists look at them, there they see all these different kinds of instruments. And these are just a few of them dating back thousands of years. The upper left uh, there is a tambourine. There's different kinds of stringed instruments. Music appears in the earliest record of man. The oldest extra-biblical records of music come from the Sumerian uh, culture, and that's over 5,000 years ago. And interesting, this, of course, is the, the foundation, the uh, cornerstone, the, 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 the very place where we believe the Garden of Eden was in that part of the world. This is where Abraham came from. There were music schools. There were instruments. There were orchestras. There were music all around him centuries before Abraham was even born. He grew up in that culture. You might equate this the Ur of the Chaldees was the Nashville of antiquity. Here is the oldest relief we can find from antiquity. And you look at that instrument on the upper left. This is dating hundreds of years before, before Abraham. They had a guitar-like instrument. That's a lute. It had a body for projection of sound. They think early on they used turtle shells to get volume out. They had strings stretched out over different lengths of neck to get a different uh, level of, of playing. And you see tuning forks. We actually have some physical representations I could show you. But after these instruments have been buried for three, four, five thousand 5,000 years, they're not in good shape. They're out of tune. But we know the physics of them, and we know how they were done. So here is a lute dating before Abraham. The other lute that's in the other lower right is a, from the time of Judges. So we see the exact kind of instruments that they used. This is a ram's horn or a shofar. There's several annotations of where these, uh, these musicologists uh, have benefited, benefited from research, and I'm sharing some of the things that you see there that are annotated from these authors. In antiquity, we had the cornerstone of the Jewish faith, which was sung a little bit earlier, and they would start with a shofar, the blowing of the ram's horn, and they would sing Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And verse 5 of that is the verse I was preaching on the last couple of weeks. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And professional musicians have taken ancient instruments and reconstructed them using the materials of old and using the notation that we know that they used. Uh, when I was at Northern Michigan, I was a music minor, 
and they informed us that musical notation began with the Gregorian era, Gregorian chant around the sixth century. That was prior to some archeological research which totally debunks that. Musical notation began about 5,000 years ago. It was centuries old by the time Abraham came along. And when the Jews would sing, this is not only a reproduction, this is exactly what, what you would have heard in antiquity. Here's what it sounded like. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Shema Yisrael, Adonai. So far, you heard the harp, you heard lute, the music of antiquity, the music that the apostle Paul, the apostles, the, that Jesus would have heard in the temple worship of antiquity. The oldest historical examples, as I said, were about, well, 4,500 years ago, we have references to musical notation. Here is an example of, of notation from Abraham's home in Ur of the Chaldees. And I tried to interpret this notation to play it for you as best I can. Can we get the... Got it? At least that's what I think it sounded like. I'm mean, going to be good in cuneiform notation. <laughs> that's actually a, a jazz version of Go Tell It on the Mountain, the Christmas song. I will uh, not sing it for you because I don't want anyone leaving the sanctuary. <laughs> so. When we play uh, music of antiquity, again, they use the instruments of sets, but there are some surprising things from it. Uh, they sang, for instance, in thirds, what's called a diatonic scale. And that seems to have gotten lost uh, through music. Uh, there's a story of country music and rock music that a, a, a country gospel singing group in the 50s, 40s and 50s, started singing in thirds which was apparently unusual prior to that. 
And a couple of brothers by the name of the Everly Brothers picked up on that, and they liked that. In the 50s, they started singing in thirds for songs that became number one hits in the, in the 50s and early 60s. The Beatles later on obviously heard the Everly Brothers, and they adopted that same thing in their music, playing or singing in thirds. Uh, but this is from antiquity. There's nothing new under the sun. Now, for those of you who are not musically inclined, you know, thirds on the guitar would sound like this. This is a song from old people's time that Dave and I would know very well, <laughs> and a few others. Uh, a little bit Western style, a little bit different scale than what had been heard in antiquity. But when you listen to some of these lute players too, they did something uh, consistently that we hear a little bit in modern music. Uh, they would have a running bass line. Now they didn't have the technology, they had to learn to twine strings together to get lower notes. Those lower notes were typically achieved by drums that would play a bass note, one drum would play one note, Another drum would perhaps play another note a third higher. But in modern music, sometimes you'll see guitar players play that same kind of thing. And again, this was often heard in antiquity, these running bass lines. kind of a modern version of a running bass line that lute players would often play, but at a higher voicing. It's been commented upon, and I have a CD, which I left over there, of professional musicians using ancient instruments, playing all these songs from Greek, the Greek world and from the Jewish world. I also have one, by the way, from the Viking world, where my ancestors came from, and perhaps many of yours. I, I, when you listen to this Viking music, played on music, you know, instruments of antiquity, you understand why they went around pillaging around the world. They were just looking for a good band and somebody could play. It sounds like a train wreck. I'm not kidding, it's awful. But you listen to Greek music, some of it sounds, again, from antiquity, uh, that's appealing to our ear, and some of it's a little bit dissonant. It's a little bit off to our Western ear. Uh, but all of it is, is music that they would party to. And I would be hesitant to describe what they were like, but they profligate. Uh, tremendous amount of abuse of every kind, physical abuse and mutilation and prostitution. And you know, honestly, you look at a documentary of, of some of the, of, of the groups like the Grateful Dead and what they did, what went on in their, their, their music, uh, halls, it's, they would have fit right into the Greek world. But uh, there was also Jewish music, and the contrast between the Gentiles and the Jews was this. Gentiles had the philosophy, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. 
And God really rejected that line. That's a quote out of Ecclesiastes. And the Jews were known for being very serious people. And if I were to play a number of their songs, even a wedding song, which is a joyous moment, it sounds kind of solemn and even a, a touch of pathos and sorrow is in the music. This is a, a Jewish uh, a song called The Hope, the Hatikvo. I'll just play a little, a uh, couple measures of it. of it, almost like a sorrowful kind of feeling. They had a much more serious view of life. And that was reflected in their behavior and in their music. When God knit Adam together, took that dirt, that ground, with music going and angels shouting, I think he put in us right off the outset a love of music and connecting music and memory. Pam and I once went to what's called an even song at Cambridge University in England at their uh, King's Chapel. Even song they would do throughout the year, they would sing the Psalms, all 150 Psalms over the course of a year. And we were standing in line with an Anglican priest ready to go into the uh, Edwardian uh, chapel, which was built in something like 1300 AD. He told us, I memorized the entire Psalter, all 150 Psalms, without even trying. He just sang them for so many years, the music and the words and the connection of those two things were permanently imprinted in his brain. One of the really interesting things is a documentary, you might be interested in watching it, called Alive Inside. This is where a individual took his iPod and his earphones and went to nursing homes. And there's a number of interviews that he does. One is, one is of a woman, and he's asking this woman, uh, you know, what's your name? And she's smiling, she's happy, she tells her, tells him his name, her name, and, well, tell us about your family. Do you have any children? Well, I, 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 yes, I think I had some kids, and I, I can't remember how old they are. Well, what, what was your life like? Well, I, I, I was raised, I, I, I actually don't remember very much. And then he puts on these earphones and he plays music that was popular in her town while she was an adolescent. The song is when the saints go marching in. And she's listening to the music when the saints go marching in and she's smiling. Oh yes, I remember this. My father didn't want me to listen to this music, but oh, I remember this and they play it for a while. Then he takes the earphones off and asks her the same questions. Do you remember your children? Oh yes, uh, Twyla, she's 73, she has four kids. And there's you know, Robert, he's, he's 71. I, I grew up in New Orleans, it was miraculous. This is from the hand of our creator who tied in our memories music and memory together. 
Perhaps when you hear a song from your teenage years, uh, I hear a particular song and I'm thinking, I'm driving with my friends down Ludington Avenue as we bombed the drag. No more, I have no idea how many times. I don't even know if kids do that anymore, but we sure did it when I was a kid. I hear that song and I'm with my friends in my dad's car. It comes back in our memory. My father, who suffered dementia near the end of his life, loved music, grew up music. There was a family band. They played you know, all the great hits, the great theological tomes. In heaven, there was no beer. That's why we drink it here. Um, that's a great polka, by the way. Um, and then there were some you know, edifying kind of songs like, I don't want her, you can have her, she's too fat for me. All these qualifying polka tunes, I, I, I can see that you're not familiar with them. I grew up with them. Never in my house were the words spoken, quiet, the children are trying to sleep. They didn't know that line. Nobody had told them that line. So I often, with my siblings and my cousins, we talked about it often, went to sleep while there was a whale of a party going on and we have a family band and they were belting out these country tunes and these polka tunes and that brings back memory of my family. And I later on got into that band and I could, it's possible, but not likely that I could play some of those polkas for you, even right now, but I will refrain from doing it. But you see this marriage of music and memory, so it's not surprising that God has us sing because part of that singing is to marriage his word in our minds in the very depths of our soul. When we talk about memory, if you study it, it isn't just one place in our brain. I think of it as having about seven different file cabinets in different parts of your brain. Memory is physical, it's anatomical. When you remember a Bible verse, we have 100 billion brain neurons in our minds. Those neurons are connecting up. Brain uh, function and memory works by association. So as you memorize a verse more and more, more brain neurons are put together and they're connected with other things and they go from one part of the brain to, a, to another. If you're memorizing it, you, it goes to one part of your brain. If you're saying it out loud, that's why I always advocate saying a verse out loud, it goes to an additional part of your brain. And if you're singing, it goes to another part of your brain. So we have different file cabinets. It's called global memory. And memory experts will remember things in different ways using all the different kinds of phenomena that God our Creator has gifted us with. You look at some of these calls to sing from the Torah, Exodus 15.1. They gathered together when God did that, what? Destroy the Egyptian army. And I, I would almost be tempted to play you Pharaoh, Pharaoh, if you know what that is. We did sing that at the staff meeting earlier this week. You know, God had him do the, the dead man's float, but they sang the horse and rider, that song in Exodus 15. They sang it out. They're singing in 2 Samuel. They're singing in Chronicles. All the Psalms are, of course, sung. And the word psalmoi means with stringed instruments. That's its literal meaning. So I often think about words in their, in their original meaning. So when somebody in antiquity said, let's sing the Psalms, they would say, we're going to sing with stringed instruments. That's what they're really saying and hearing. We, the word psalm somehow gets disassociated from its original meaning in our mind and it becomes something else. So you have all this singing that going, this marriaging of the word of God and, and with music. And again, what is God doing? He's imprinting that word deeper and deeper in your memory and in your soul. Music is used to worship in the New Testament in multiple places. You have... Mary's song, it's called, uh, in, in classical music, as music has been written in recent times, it's called the uh, Magnificat. 
Uh, in Luke, there's Zachariah, who's the father of John the Baptist, and he's uh, singing a song, and we call that the Benedictus. There are clear uh, Greek hymns in a multiple of Paul's letters, and I could regale you with some of the, the Greek uh, scholarly reasons for that. I'll just give you a summary of several things. They know it's music for, because of the use of alliteration. In other words, they'll have several words that will start with the same letter of the alphabet. A for alpha, you know, D for delta. All these words, not in English, but in Greek, they all begin with the same letter. There's also places where there's a metric to them. There's a clear rhythm, again, in the original language, not in English. There's also the use of theological words, which are expounded on in other parts of the Bible, but in the place that, for instance, for instance I'm going to have Jared uh, read our early Christian hymn from Philippians 2 in a minute. There's some words in there that are theologically important that are expounded in other places of the Bible, but, only a, but not in the real center of, the, of, of Paul's intent in Philippians 2. He takes a part of that song and quotes, and he is using that. So he's quoting a hymn that would have been very familiar to the Philippian Christians, and Jared will read that to you now. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That was an early Christian hymn. All Bible scholars concur in that. Thank you, Jared. God commands that we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish one another, as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Scholars have long recognized the parallel passages and the parallel books, really, of Ephesians and Colossians. And you look at Ephesians 5.16, where it says, be filled with the Spirit. If you were in crew, you know that verse very well. To be filled means to be controlled. You're controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the next line in Ephesians, after Ephesians 5.18, is to speak to one and sing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And we see this parallel passage in Colossians 3.16. Oh, instead of be filled with the Spirit, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. And then it goes on as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with the same fruit, the same result. Hence, there's a noted comparison between being filled with the Spirit and let the word of Christ being dwell, dwell in you. When we take the word of God, and that's the Spirit of Christ in us, that's being controlled by the Spirit with the same fruit. We sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of gratitude in our hearts to God. I don't sing very well. That's why I learned to play, and I played lead guitar and a praise band because I like to sing, or like in my mind, I'm singing through the guitar. But I look forward to the day when I will be able to sing, because when I get my new young body, and I'm listening to that loud music, and it sounds great to me, I'm going to be joining in there along with all of you. We'll be singing together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach each other with, and admonish one another 
And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, let us sing to God. <laughs>